Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Work Podcast. I co-host The Work Podcast with my colleague, John Sumser, and we are delighted to welcome Mike Fitzsimmons, CEO of CrossCheck, to the show today. Mike, please tell our audience a bit about yourself. Yeah, Jean and John, thank you so much for having me today. Um, I am uh, currently running CrossCheck. CrossCheck is playing in the burgeoning hiring intelligence space. And for those of you who don't know what that means, hopefully by the end of this conversation, you'll have a better sense. But what we're really trying to do is finally bring more outcome-based approaches to talent acquisition. So how do we actually finally sort of fix the wheel we've all been on of 46% mishire rates of sourcing channels that aren't optimized and all that good stuff. So that's what we're all about is using outcomes and using data to help talent acquisition uh, teams uh, do a better job of, of their hiring. Now, Mike, if memory serves, you are what we call a serial entrepreneur. Can you tell us a little bit about what your gigs looked like before CrossCheck? Yeah, that sounds like a... That is a label, isn't it? Yeah, he ate Captain Crunch and then he ate Panda Puffs. Seriously. Yeah, I I will tell you that between my co-founder Pete and I, we had started seven companies, including a NASDAQ IPO. So we'd kind of been through the journey of starting starting organizations. And I think part of that driven just by seeing problems and wanting to go fix them. And that's actually how we started CrossCheck, believe it or not. It was from a company I was running prior um, that was a big endeavor over a decade running it, a couple hundred million in revenue, pre-IPO, and and we made some mistakes and some hiring decisions. And ultimately, that's actually what drove us to say, gosh, is this a problem we can go fix? So so yeah, it's been a journey as an entrepreneur and as a a company starter, but I I I don't regret any part of it. Yeah, well, always great learning as an entrepreneur. And I know, you know, you and John were having a conversation I was listening in on earlier about something that I think everyone in tech is talking about these days, and that's ChatGPT. And um, John, I know you are never shy of opinions. Uh, You want to kind of pick it up from where you and Mike were in your discussion? Yeah, yeah, and and I want to I want to run down this rabbit hole, but I also want to come back up and talk about talent intelligence a little bit too, because because I think the two are related. So so right before the show, we started talking about, or I was in the middle of soapboxing, the idea that there's a lot of noise in the marketplace about Chat GPT, and there are the people who think it's the end of the world, and the people who think it's the beginning of the world, and the people who think it's nonsense. But there are not very many people who are really talking about the practical applications of this new thing. And my view is that that we are at the beginning of the end of the graphical user interface, which was a way of taking the way we used to do things on paper and moving it to the screen. And it's great, except you know the problem with forms in general is they never fit the specific situation. And so everybody has always had gripes about graphical user interfaces because they're designed for a theoretical user rather than an individual user. What a conversational interface promises is that I can come to the tool with my questions in my form and get answers that matter to me. Um, And... um, this stuff with ChatGPT is the very first instance of it. 
but but I'm sure I'm sure that we are sitting here watching a a paradigm shift in process, and it will have a quick uptick because they've been having quick upticks faster and faster and faster from um, observation to domination in new technologies, and this time it will be a, a first move away from the metaphors that we've used to think about the, the machine and the um, web in general since I, st I started with the 50th computer off the IBM line in 1981, um, and the metaphor has been the same. We're about, to, we're about to see a different way of interacting, and... Um, I'm curious about what you think about that and, and when you think about how talent intelligence operates, how do you imagine a talent intelligence tool that has a conversation with its user rather than creating a list like, like um, I think most of these things do? Yeah, I love it as, as, a, as a conversation starter. I mean, one of the things that I think about is the old Hollywood media content is king thought, right? And what I love about the power of, of the technology is that for companies that are doing a great job of creating original content, God, it can help us use that content more effectively. And there's, and that's sort of where to your question of how I think about kind of the hiring intelligence space and all this data that we're gathering and these unique this unique access to data, but how do you actually make that easier for your end user to synthesize that data and solve the business problem they're trying to solve? And that's where I think the power of it and the applicability of it for our industry is going to be so awesome, right? It's it's not going to, as it relates to, to sort of our world, we're, we're going to still be, you know, doing our thing to create all that great content and data and then using tools like this, right? to make that data more effective for our end users. Like that's the big breakthrough. And even really practically speaking for us, like you guys have seen how much the analytics that we have and what we constantly get from users are, this is great, but how do I put this to work? Like, how do I actually take this now and put this into action in my company? Those are the kind of places where this can be incredibly effective, right? Where it can, in a, in a more automated, more rapid, more conversational fashion, take the data, Right. And the content that we're all developing and make it so you can actually drive more business value out of it quicker. Imagine, imagine that your job becomes teaching your clients how to ask questions rather than how to use your tool. It's how do you start with the problem and ask the series of questions that gets you down to the level that you have the answer? Uh, because that's that. Patterns of interrogation, patterns, that's probably a bad word, but pa patterns of questioning are going to be what distinguishes users who succeed from people who wallow in the mud doing benchmarking. Um, and I, I, wonder how, I wonder how you imagine that happening, right? Because that's a different kind of customer success. Yeah, I, well, I'll tell you, I think it doesn't end on just giving them the ability to ask more questions. It actually informs the content that you're creating. So let me give you oh, a specific yeah. example, right? It's the outcomes. Like we, when we started attacking this whole concept of outcome-driven talent acquisition, 
And, and most people we'd say, how do you think about quality of hire? How do you define it? It's, eh, it's somewhere half tenure, half performance, push that in a blender, press play. And, you know, I don't know, add those together, divide by two times by a hundred and put a percent next to it. And that's something, right? And it, it couldn't be further from, uh, you know, A, something that's accurate or B, something that's actionable, right? And right. so as you think about that as a product and you just think about how you're going to get smarter over time, in understanding what the data inputs are to actually answer the questions that our users are trying to answer. That's the big wheel that I see that gets me so excited. It's going to inform, it's going to inform all aspects of, frankly, the platform, the product, and how you attack the business issues. It's pretty exciting stuff that's hard to do. That's the, the human side of this, your point that you started the conversation on software and it's early. It's just, it's just hard to do at scale without automated tools like this. It's just really hard, right? Yep. Because the level of complexity is such. Yep, I don't I don't think I don't think it's been possible till now. And and people have been scratching their heads trying to figure out what the next thing is going to be. Um, and there have been, you know, when you when you roll back the history, you can see lots of ways that we've tried to figure out how to have a conversational interface with machines. And um, it looks like, have, have you ever looked at the history of the automobile in the late 19th century? There were like 500 automobile factories and they all failed. Um, <laughs> and they made wacky looking things like Alexa and Siri and, and our other notable conversational failures. But here we have something where it's, starts to be easy to understand how you dig, right? You start with a question that gives you an answer that prompts the next question, and you drive down till you're satisfied with the outline that you have so you can go get the answer somewhere else or the um, the answer that you generate. Um, and that's a more conversational interaction than the pre-programmed stuff that we've been trying so far. Still not a self-driving machine, but but it's um... yeah, and and so and and you know, to me, this conversation sounds like we're thinking of it as a new way to get at data, but aren't there other ways we can be using ChatGPT in terms of of uh, recruiting? Would it help us engage neurodiverse candidates, for example? Who, who where conversational is a, a, a more approachable, more engaging medium for them? I'd be terrified to do that because mansplaining as a service, as we've heard it described. <laughs> is another, Don't get me started, John. <laughs> is, is another colloquialism for bullshitting, right? This is, this is a bullshit generator. And, and, and if you control it and you have control over the data that goes into it, you can do some interesting things with it. But, but it's like a really good power saw. You have to put a lot of safety stuff and in the early days of having good power saw, it needs supervision. Um, and um, I'm not sure I'd release it onto um, my employment brand um, just yet. What do you think, Mike? Are you? Probably not qualified, Gene, with your point. I, I don't know. I don't have a great baked opinion on on how that would impact. I'll tell you what's hard, like just in a really simplistic fashion. As it relates to our world, yeah, you know, day one, I'm in there like, would you hire Mike Fitzsimmons? 
waiting to see what it was going to say. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's like those magic eight balls we used to have as kids. Do you yeah. remember them? Or am I just the only old one on this call? Nope. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah, it definitely is. And that was the thing. And, and you know, they were saying, no, we're not doing, you know, no hiring data. We're not doing, but, but then I was like, yeah, let me look for some of my peers that are public company mm-hmm. folks. Tell me more about it. And I'm like, oh gosh, there's a full thing about really? this. Oh, for sure. And it got really scary, really quick, John, to your point about the guardrails and on the, you know, it, 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 that part of it is horrifying, right? And and I think that it's it's actually compounds some of the problems that we set out to solve. Look, look, the data sources you're leaning on to make talent selection decisions oftentimes aren't fully validated and are riddled with bias and have all kinds of problems associated with them, right? With the guardrails that exist today, that horrifies me if you start, if you attack, if you think what it could ultimately do, but you got to figure it's eventually going to get there. That's a really good point you're making, though, in terms of, and we've seen this historically, where technology is applied to broken or bad processes, to begin with, like no one fixes the root of the problem and we just perpetuate it then through technology. Um, you know, Mike, part of your business, of course, you're doing, um, uh, in addition to rolling up into quality of hire, you're doing digital reference checks. Um, is there a nefarious element to chat GPT or, you know, you, that's a very, that's that's got to lean into, you know, some compliance conversations and regulatory conversations. Like, like, do you see overlap there? And is that where we should have concern similar to the scenario you just described in, in terms of, you know, should I hire so-and-so? Yeah, I don't, I, I'll tell you how we're using it on that product, which is really cool. Because it's a great example, kind of where I started on, on being able to synthesize large amounts of data and 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 get them into digestible right content blocks. If you think about one of our CrossCheck 360 reports, which is our pre-hire um, sort of candidate intelligence tool uh, that effectively is giving you a read on what was it like to work with Mike and from the point of view both of Mike as the candidate and from Mike's former coworkers, right managers, peers, etc. It's a lot of data. In that report, there's a lot of freeform text responses. There's a lot of numerical data and all that stuff. And frankly, where it's been really effective is enabling you to get an exact summary of all of that data because most people don't want to pour through a five-page report, mm-hmm. right, on every candidate that they're going to hire. And so it was a very, you know, you've got to, we still have work to do and we're still tuning it to make sure that all of that's, you know, going to be commercially uh, reliable and all that stuff. But that's a really, in my mind, where back to, like, you still have to have unique data to use the tool to help you synthesize. Um, but that's how we've kind of seen it. So I don't know how you're thinking about the the risks from nefarious behavior or bad actors, <laughs> um, but that's a positive slant on how it can be helpful just to have us get through intelligence, you know, verified yeah. intelligence more rapidly. I love that. I love the the concept of verified intelligence that's still ju- digestible because I think, you know, uh, speed to hire is still a reality. It's still a metric that everyone looks at whether or not they want to want to tell you that. I mean, it's still getting reported up on the board level even. So, um so that does help with speed to hire. John, I know you wanted to delve into this whole area of of talent intelligence and and specifically crosscheck of course is involved in hiring, the hiring intelligence uh, aspect of talent intelligence. Where do you see this taking us? 
Well, I've, you know, I've been following talent intelligence pretty closely, and it seems to me that what currently is called talent intelligence is kind of an assembly of all of the available data and some discovery of things that, you know, when you, when you add um, reference checking, it's an assembly of things that haven't been turned into data, but there is no real new discovery. It's just data collection for the most part. Um, and and um, uh, I guess my question for you, Mike, would be, what do you see the the next steps be once once you've sort of herded all of the data cats into a pile and made them simple and easy to understand great it's hard for me to imagine that that gives you any of the kind of predictive capacity that you'd really like to have here and you know for instance i was in a conversation this morning and we were talking about what's work and work is something that happens in a specific context and in that specific context, some things are important and other things are not important. And if you're successful in one context, it has nothing to do really with whether or not you're successful in the other context, unless you can match the context elements like company size, financial stability. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that, that actually shape the heart of the culture. Um, and it seemed to be that that's the next frontier. But where are you going? I mean, that's, that's, that would be what I do. And uh, that may not be what you do. Yeah. I, I think that the um, maturity of the category is going to go well beyond just being able to cobble together your, your disparate systems. Like you said, I, I really do. And I think that I'm going to keep going back to that content is king. I think your ability to bring unique you know, data and unique inputs, unique content into that machine to help solve specific business problems is going to be the name of the game. And one of the areas that I believe to be the most greenfield is on this concept of outcomes. And I think we've gotten, because we're overwhelmed and we've had so much trouble getting the data cobbled together, we haven't gone to the next level of truly understanding, to your point, the impact of the work on the outcomes and how that varies based upon different job types, right? It, it's it's I, I want an extreme example in some of the data and an analysis that we've been working on. Think about educators, think about the concept of tenure, right? And we're all like, hey, we wanna hire people that last longer. And what, well, tenure is actually a negative corollary to quality in education. Radical insight. Sadly. Right? <laughs> Sadly, right? yeah. Sadly, right? So you, you there's, not, there's not like a, you know, because you've been teaching for 20 years, the core output KPI for most educators could be placement test scores of their class, as an example, right? The corollary between having been a 20-year uh, teacher and having higher output scores for your kids, right? Though it is not correlated, you know, you're not at a, you don't have a, a, an advantage over the person that's been teaching for two years. And I, by thinking on that, when you actually extrapolate and look at the jobs report that just came out, look at the, the growth in travel and hospitality, think about professional services, think about where all this growth is happening. I was on the call I was on earlier, which is why we pushed this out, was with the lar largest soda company in the world. The difference between their driver issue and the outcome expected from a driver versus the person stocking the shelves in the store versus the person mixing the soda versus the person in accounting, right? Like if you think about how heady that is, you right, I, I think that's where it's at. I think really truly better understanding mm -hmm. 
the outcomes we're trying to achieve in these different roles so we can map back to ultimately get to a more predictive state. Like I, I guess, and, and how we even think we can do it without knowing the outcomes we're trying to achieve is, is to me, the, the black box. I'm kind of fascinated by that because that goes to the whole, you know, applying weight during the supply chain also. It, 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 crazy story, but, you know, I was, I was in an Uber recently and the, the driver was telling me how he had driven um, a truck uh, across the, you know, he was, he was a trucker across the U.S. for a year. And he was explaining to me the enormous pressure they are under. And this was really kind of eye-opening for me. I just wasn't an area I was that familiar with. But the enormous pressure they're under to get product to a certain destination by a certain time and and the penalties for not doing that. And, and so the scenario you've just described, you know, I think those of us who sit behind, um, you know, our our our, our um, cockpit here with our screens and our computer, and you know, we're we're almost dismissive of of the the weight of that role in the supply chain. And yet, if you don't get product on those shelves, <laughs> the whole thing breaks so, down. The money doesn't come back. It money. doesn't flow where it's supposed to flow. And think about this, the difference between stocking Fritos on the shelf versus bottles of soda, the mm -hmm. physical labor tax yes. of that, believe sure. it or not, that a stocker isn't, the same stocker can't do both jobs necessarily. You yeah. don't think that, we don't sort of think like that. You're. I got one thing on the driver side that I thought was so fascinating, some data I recently saw of sort of the population of sort of driver um, folks, 12%, so 10 years ago, 12% held a CDL. Right, a, a commercial mm -hmm. driver license. Mm -hmm. It was fourteen percent relative jobs. So we've always had a problem and a shortage of of CDL holders to the to the demand of the jobs. That now is eight percent holding the CDL, wow. and the demand is sixteen percent. Crazy. So we don't. We're fifty percent under capacity of qualified licensed drivers to get that yeah. stuff to the store for the person. <laughs> Right. That doesn't want to pick up. Yeah. It's like it's a it's a real thing. But I That's just crazy to, to bring it back to the people sitting behind the monitors. I'll give you another example of this idea of outcomes and how variable they are. Sales. Like, and we all know enterprise sales and sales hiring and and the outcome that many companies have said is, hey, did the individual hire a chief quota within X period of time? Which is a really lame way to attack that issue. What's more relevant is the next set of things is what was the pipeline to quota? delivered to them from their marketing team, right? Mm -hmm. What territory mm -hmm. were they in and what was actually the opportunity in that territory, right? What 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 was the readiness of the product? There's all this other stuff, but it's, we just we just have gotten, I don't want to say lazy, but it, it, because it's hard to get to the data, we're sort of not doing the hard work to actually understand what outcomes we're trying to achieve and all the yeah. things that we're doing. Uh, which leads me right into what we're observing this this uh, you know uh, somewhat of a um, period of time uh, where we're seeing companies shed qualified talent without really understanding the ramifications of losing those folks and then hearing that those folks are being hired back as consultants because it's like two days later they realize oh my gosh you know we let John go and he's the only person who knows how to do XYZ. Um, it, it, are, is the data just so siloed or is there no one really taking ownership of the data or how does, how does this happen? It seems like rookie mistakes is, is, you know, my reaction, but I certainly know it's not that simple. 
Did you see the Boeing data on the 2000 cuts, but they're going to hire 10,000? Yeah. They're going to hire 2000 in finance and HR, yet they're going to hire 10,000 in manufacturing and engineering, right? And I was like, and then I also saw another report recently that showed that HR tech spending is going up 14% this Mm -hmm. year to offset Mm -hmm. the, 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 and the irony is then we're talking to a lot of our companies like, yeah, we cut all these people. We cut most of our recruiting department. Now right. managers are telling us to rehire. <laughs> you can't just turn the switch on in talent acquisition. It's going to take, you know, you, it doesn't work like that. Exactly. Right? We don't have, and so the capacity planning. Yeah. So Gene, I, we're not, we're not connecting the dots. We're not, we're making decisions that aren't outcome based. I think as it relates to talent, I really believe that to be true. And I think it's because we don't have great tools that enable us to, scenario plan. And and this is even John to your point of like, back to your conversational, wow, if I was about to make that decision at Boeing, it probably would have been helpful for me to, to more, you know, rapidly ask these questions of my data of how this might impact me long-term, right. Versus how it's going to feel to my shareholders for the next, you know, for the next 30 days. I I wonder about this entire conversation, because as I've been listening what I've been noticing is that none of the decision-making I'm hearing about from how do you motivate and incent drivers to deliver products to how do you manage layoffs, none of them have a feedback loop from the people involved, right? And so, so the, the um, supply chain stuff, the reason that there's all that pressure in the supply chain is we stopped holding inventory because we thought it was smart 20 years ago. And because we don't hold inventory, we break people. And when we break people and we, this is, this is sort of the problem I have with outcome focused recruiting is, but the outcomes are stupid and dangerous. Why would we focus on delivering (laughs) into stupid and dangerous outcomes? And where's the quality check on that stuff? Right. That's, you know, and, and I don't think it's your role to figure that out, but, but, but you look at the idea that the best thing to do with talent intelligence is wedge people into stupid jobs because we can predict that they'll not break under stupid conditions. That's, that's you're, that's, you're, 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 yeah, you're relying on the, the inherent, hopefully resiliency and flexibility of, of the human being. Um, but as we're with spreadsheets with, with human yeah. bodies. And that's, that's, that's um, troubling. That's troubling. Um, and, and might explain why um, Gen Z isn't flocking to operate in environments like that. Mm, because they're smarter than the rest of us? Because we raise them and they're smarter than we are? Is that because, it? <laughs> because, they, because they witnessed this. Um, yeah. This, um, I, think, I think we might look back at it 50 years from now and go, what? Well, this is interesting, John. You're, you're actually taking us in an interesting direction because, as you know, there's just a wide range of wellness solutions um, for employees. And, and so, so if we were to fix the root of the problem in the first place, would we then need all of these wellness and well-being and everything else that goes there? Um, you know, have we, have we overextended people to begin with beyond their breaking point? Um, and we're telling them, but it's okay. We have, you know, we have some videos for you to watch. So, so, so I've talked to a bunch of people recently who are using applications like Calm or uh, Insight Timer or those sorts of things 
to listen to bedtime stories so they can go to sleep because having somebody tell you a story is the only way to get the voices out of your head. Um, <laughs> and the voices are That's stressed. discouraging. That's the voices discouraging. are stress, right? Yeah. But 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 I hear I hear great people talking about how tremendous these tools are, and they're solving a problem that's caused by the work and the, the, the company that is giving them the tool to solve the problem that's caused by the work, but it means you go to sleep with somebody telling you bedtime stories. Mike, we've taken you in a whole other place uh, <laughs> that you probably didn't anticipate. Let, let's take it back to something that I know you're very focused on at Crosscheck, and that is you have this uh, terrific product called Talent Wall that I, I know I've spoken to some of, of uh, some Talent Wall customers, and uh, they love this solution. So, so you mentioned recruiters and you know letting your entire talent acquisition team go, and then all of a sudden the mandate comes down that, hey, guess what? In 30 to 45 days, we expect you to fill all these, these open recs. Um, can you talk to us on the recruiter level? Like, what does the data mean to them? Does it mean they get to go into their boss and say, hey, this is why this isn't working or this is why it is working? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple of things. I think first and foremost, all these tools and 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 that the the the, the sort of foundational value prop of technology is to save you time and ultimately save you money and ultimately save you headcount, like it or not. So, all of these tools should be able to improve your efficiency, which means you need less bodies to do work, right? And so, Talent Wall is absolutely a workflow tool in that regard, and it does save you know real you know real time, real money. Uh, for clients just to help make the process of a day in the life of a recruiter, right? That much more efficient and easier, easier to manage. Um, the planning part is a different beast, right? And this is a finance meets recruiting gray area. Like you, you actually think about how CFOs want to ratchet up and down hiring and these layoffs to, to meet certain commitments they may have made, right? Uh, earnings commitments or whatever they might be. And the the ability to do that that quickly in talent is just really hard. And so one of the things we've been working really, really intently on is this ability to better forecast capacity and load balance talent acquisition and recruiting capacity with the needs of the business, right? With the appropriate amount of time in place to achieve the goals that the core, that the business wants to achieve, mm -hmm. right? And that, that I think is going to be really impactful. So we stop making these decisions of letting go of our entire department, knowing full well in the back of our head that we're going to need to, right, add another. I mean, the Boeing example, I just can't, I can't, I can't unsee it's it. It's mind boggling. Yeah, it's just <laughs> mind boggling. So I think that's going to be a thing. And I think that that bridge is part of a big part of what Tom Holt is helping with, which is kind of bridging between a day in the life of the recruiter, a real reel of what it takes for me to fill this wreck, right, with the expectations on output uh, from the other side of the house. It's a hard job. I, and I'm connected to a bunch of recruiters on Facebook. And yeah, I, I, I look at some of the, the situations that they're bemoaning and I'm like, wow, I could, I could not do this job long-term. It's a hard job. A um, lot, of, lot of salesmanship goes into it. John, you look, you look like you have something you want to say. And I know we only have a few minutes left. So no, I want to no, give just, you the floor. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> impressed as I can be with, with this view of talent and recruiting that has an operations feel to it. You know, you know if, if I were, if I were to tell you what I'm taking away from this conversation is, is we've got, we've got um, 
a recruiting ops structure coming into place. And Mike is a, is is a more articulate. I've talked to a lot of people about this crap. Um, um, uh, Mike 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 is is covering the terrain in. Um, ways that make sense on a business level that I haven't really heard before. This is, so, the, so this is kind of awesome to me. That's a high compliment coming from John, Mike. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> well, I appreciate, the, I appreciate the words, John. We're, we're certainly doing our best. Yeah, this is cool. This is cool. You're headed in a good direction. Well, unfortunately, that does bring us to time. Mike, we'd like to ask you to please tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and your team at Crosscheck. Yeah, it's it's uh, as much as Gene has tried to, to get us to change the brand name, which I fully understand. <laughs> Crosscheck is is um, uh, on the, on the web www.crosscheck.com. Or if anybody just wants to reach out to me directly, Fitz F I T Z at Crosscheck.com. Feel free to email me or hit me on LinkedIn. But thanks again, Gene, for having me. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of The Work Podcast. <laughs>